Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, we have back with us again today my Olympic weightlifting coach, Dan Bell of Rubber City Weightlifting. Dan was the second guest on our podcast and is currently holding the number one spot for the most downloads of an episode. We had a lot of fun getting to know Dan last time, so if you've not listened to that one, stop this one right now, go back, listen to that one. It's a lot of fun. We had a great time. Dan and I sat down over a couple of beers, and we talked about training and something called maximal progress. Uh, He believes it's something that's made up, and it's a buzzword in today's society of online coaching and all that bullshit. And he basically just broke down the basics. It's, it's simple, people. There's progress, and then what you perceive might be progress. But there's no, such really, there's no such thing as maximal progress. If you're making progress, we're doing good. Can you tweak a couple of things to try to get some more? Yes, absolutely. That's a great thing to do. But you shouldn't be stopping some program or jumping on another program because you think you should be making a lot more progress than you are when you're only making a little bit. I mean... Brandon, let's, let's be honest here. All progress is good. So we also talked about a very interesting squat study that just came out recently. It was talking about the effectiveness between quarter squats, uh, just to parallel squats, and then full depth ass to calf squats. That was really interesting. I was actually pretty shocked at the results on that one. And then we also got into the USAW Coaches Symposium that's going to happen here in about a month or two. It's pretty quickly coming up. 
It's something that Dan has been asking for for a long time. He was pretty excited about it. Nonetheless, we, we sat down over a couple of beers. We had a good time. And I hope that you guys enjoy the conversation as much as I know that I did. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we have back with us our number one guest, Mr. Daniel Bell. Dan, how are we doing? Okay. Is that number one as I was the first? No, you're, you're actually the second. Uh, Mike Walker was our first guest, but you currently have the most downloads of an episode. <laughs> So okay. you, you are the number one guest as of right now, and hopefully we can make this one number two, and then we can start rubbing it in everyone else's faces and said, "Hey, Dan's kicking your ass." So <laughs> be get, more interesting. Get your shit together. <laughs> the uh, the last time that we had Dan on, which was episode number two, we got into a lot of Dan's background from lifting. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, stop this one. Go back, listen to that one, kind of get a sense for who Dan is, and then come back and we can listen to this one. And we're going to kind of get off into more of the weeds today and maybe do some ranting and raving. We'll just kind of see where things go. Uh, (laughs) So uh, how are things going on in your end? Um, Recently? Yeah. Well, you know, I had a little bout of skin cancer, so they took a chunk of my face off. I think I'll be better looking in the end. (laughs) I'm going to tell people I lost a hatchet fight. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Like what my buddy Dave always says, never let the truth get away of a good story. Nope. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Had several lifters leave the club. Had a few new lifters come on. But, you know, that transition is always going on. It seems like it happens a lot. Uh, It does. You know, in, in my experience, 10 people come in the door. Two of them stick for a couple of years, then one of them will leave. Um, I'm still waiting to have a lifter besides you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like four or five years, but you know, we're working on it. I have some, uh, a good core of lifters who get along well together are actually coachable and are making progress. So, you know, I'm happy. I think we're heading in the right direction. Yeah, I do too. Things, (laughs) things seem to be going well at the gym, which is good. So, uh, today we're, Obviously, sitting down over a beer because we can't have a podcast with Dan without having a couple of beers. So, nope. <laughs> so, uh, if the slurring starts happening, never mind that. Don't don't you worry. It just it makes the episode sound better. I promise. <laughs> I wish I could say I didn't slur without beer. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's a lot of that too. Uh, so, uh, interesting things coming up for you. You've got um, some level ones coming up. Uh, uh, now, for, for people who don't know what that is, what is that? USA Weightlifting Coaching Level 1 course. Um, basically, the, your intro certification to coach weightlifting in, in the United States. Um, I've got one coming up in uh, Cincinnati. I'm covering for um, Chris Cleary, a friend of mine from down there. Okay. That's uh, May 19th and 20th. Yeah. And one in Cranberry, which is right outside Pittsburgh. On uh, June 2nd and 3rd. So Cranberry, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in uh, June. Yeah. So a couple of those. So where can people go to sign up for those if they want to sign up for those? Uh, USAweightlifting.org. Okay. So uh, they can go there and they can sign up for the course. Yep. And they can get their uh, USAW Level 1 certification to become a coach. Yes. Right? So uh, how often do you do those a year? Uh, I've been, I try to get three or four a year in, but recently I've 
gotten more than I thought I was going to get because uh, my friend Mark Canella, who teaches a lot from Columbus, he, he asked me to cover one, um, Chris, which he was covering for Chris Cleary. Then Chris Cleary had to bail on another one because of a family issue, so I'm going down to Cincy to teach that one. Okay. Um, I've got one. Well, I th- I'm going to try to schedule one for home where I don't have to travel okay. sometime in September. So that one will be in North Canton, Ohio. Yes. Okay. Then we can obviously they can find that on usaw.org. Yes, if if they want to go look for that one as well. And then uh, we we're also throwing a weightlifting meet at our place, an Olympic weightlifting meet, and that's in July on the twenty eighth. Yes. And uh, what what's what's that one going to be all about? Uh, first meet at Unrivaled Strength. Um, you know, the we've recently moved things around in there, so now there's there's a a pretty good meet setup. Uh, all the platforms where you normally train and make an easy warm-up area. There's a great place to set up a platform, um, plenty of seating. Uh, it should run pretty smoothly. And after, you know, running as many meets as I've run and working with Mark for a decade or more, um, running the Arnold, you know, it should be a pretty good meet. Okay. And, <coughs> sorry. Uh, one of the things I want to do with our local meets is give money back to the lifters. Okay. You know, we obviously have to make some money, especially the first couple, because we got to buy wood for platform. I'd like to buy a backdrop. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea of running meets. They're usually fundraisers for equipment or travel or what have you. Yeah, you know, the local clubs who run these, they need it for that. I mean, it's expensive to go to national meets, the hotel, the flights, everything. Uh, But you have to have enough for, since this is our first one, we're getting the stuff that you need to have a local meet. Wood to build a platform, a decent backdrop. Um, other little things. So, uh, but even, even after that, we, I tried to set the price so that we could have a Sinclair meet. Um, it's not going to be a lot of money, but giving some money back to the lifters who are, you know, focused and doing well. Um, so top three lifters, men and women will, will get, you know, small cash prizes. Very nice. Well, that's something that a lot of people don't do. So I think that's going to be a nice little drawing point for the meet you know whereas also it's going to be obviously a great place for a new person to come and lift but also gives an experienced person a chance to come in and possibly win some money if they do well yeah um i guess first one we're going to go like 125 75 and 50 so even if you finish third you know you basically have your entry feedback yeah which which would be nice so we'll just have to like you know double check all the the numbers and make sure all that stuff works yeah. we'll, we'll put all that stuff out you know on the, on the website if they want to go register for that where, where do they go for that uh, I've got the registration ready to go. Um, I've got to get it out on, we're getting, we'll have a Facebook event page for, they'll steer you to the registration, um, site. It'll be on unrivaledstrength.com. Okay. Um, but, uh, I don't have it set up with USA weightlifting yet. It's on the schedule, but the schedule doesn't steer you to the registration yet. Okay. So what's, what's the name of the meat called? Um, it's, uh, Rubber City Open. So if they go to Facebook and look for the Rubber City Open, look for the event page, everything will be in there for links that you need to register and get signed up. So, exactly. So so come on out and lift and let, let's have some fun. Yes. So um, the other day, you and I were talking about this interesting squat study that had, that had just recently come out. And we were both looking for it. We couldn't find the exact study. So we're going to try to get that for you guys. We'll put that either in the show notes or possibly in the intro uh, we'll make sure we get that to you. But uh, can you tell me a little bit about the study and kind of what was so interesting about it? Um, well, I'm pretty sure that I found this on um, Greg Knuckles has a, a really good 
um, online periodical called Mass, M-A-S-S, um, where he collects um, all the uh, uh, strength and fitness studies. And he's a grad student himself, and he's, he in, you know puts the abstracts and tries to interpret and put in context these studies. Um, I believe this one was from Sweden, and it was measuring the effect of squat depth um, to your, uh, I think it was a counter jump height. Um, it's a depth jump off a box and then for height. They studied uh, half squats, parallel squats, and ass to calf squats. I believe it was a Swedish study. Um, and it turns out you, using the, the counter jump height as a, as a measure of the effectiveness of the squats, that the half squats and parallel squats had almost no statistical, um, a statistically significant effect on the counter jump height. Which is interesting because a lot of these guys will come in and they'll say, hey, I want my athletes only doing quarter squats or I only want them squatting just above parallel or just below parallel because they're never going to be, you know, like all the way down ass to calves and full range of motion. We need to be explosive and powerful. And you hear people talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And this kind of showed that that's not true at all. No, the, the, whole, the whole idea of, of joint angles sports-specific joint angles when it comes to squatting or getting stronger, this blows that out of the water. Okay. The only kind of squat that had a statistically significant effect was ass-to-calves. was deep below parallel, um, deep as you can squat. So a full range position. of motion squat. Yeah. Full range of motion is what – I mean, if, if work is uh, resistance times distance – you know, you do more work doing ass to calf squats. You you just do. Okay. You affect more muscle mass. Uh, you build greater strength through a full range of motion. And this is something we've known for a long time. Or it, I think some people know it who are in the industry, but a lot of people who don't quite understand, they, they think that the half squats and the quarter squats are going to build them more power or speed or this or that. No, no. Um, they're confusing... Um, Motor unit recruitment patterns um, and speed, you know, nervous system efficiency with building muscle mass. Um, they're, they overlap, but they're kind of two different things. Okay. Um, you're going to build more muscle mass with greater range of motion and greater load. Yeah, that, that just makes sense when you really think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I ain't no scientist. <laughs> All I can tell you is what I've seen in the gym for 20 years and what other people that I know have seen in the gym for longer than that. You know, large range of motion with a heavy load over and over and over again makes you really strong. And if you're really strong, you tend to be more explosive. I mean, you we go through training phases where we work on strength and then a competition phase where we work on precision and speed. Because you need to take that muscle mass and teach it how to be fast. Okay. And we go back and forth between those two. But Try, trying to apply the strength to what you're doing in the gym yeah. or on the competition platform. Yeah, you're, accom you're, you're accommodating your nervous system to the new muscle mass. So, you know, we just go back and forth between those two training goals. But, uh, you know, you cannot build as much strength or as much muscle mass because... You have to have muscle mass to get stronger. You just can't do that with half squats or parallel squats. 
Well, you can try. Yeah. <laughs> You'll yeah. Get, maybe some people will get some improvement. But, you know, you got to squat deep and you got to squat often and you got to squat heavy. It's simple as that. Yeah, for a very long time. <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> to actually reap the benefits of that. Yeah. The, the power lifters are always coming over to watch us squat because they see us squatting with a belt and some, you know, some of those stretchy Russian knee wraps sometimes or some yeah, essentially neoprene knee sleeves. Just enough to get, keep your knees warm, not even enough to get any bounce out of the hole. Yeah. But over and over again, we create 500 pound plus squatters ass to calves because I'm not doing anything complex. You know, we don't do any tempo squats. We don't do any, you know, every now and then we'll do pause front squats just, you know, for positional strength. But basically our back squats are, you know, you've worked your way up to X. We go back to volume, work the volume up, taper it off to a single. You're stronger. Go back to volume, work your volume up, work the intensity up, taper it off. And you just keep going back and back and back like that. It's not complex. Uh, it's, I, it's the old uh, adage of if you're making progress, stick to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which leads us straight into that other topic. Uh-oh. Progress versus maximal progress. Now, now what's the difference here? I, I guess I don't understand what maximal progress means. I understand the idea of progress, but what is maximal? Let's see. The difference is one is real and one is imaginary. Okay. <laughs> progress is when you work very hard at something specific and then you find out that you got better at it. You're, you want your squat to go up because that drives your clean and jerk. That drives your lifts. So you work hard at a squat program. At the end of the squat program, you determine that you are stronger. That might be by 2 kilos. It might be by 10. But you are stronger. That's progress. That's verifiable. Okay. You know, we have empirical evidence that that has worked. Yeah, we, we have actual data, something we can measure. That and, we, you and, we, and we can absolutely prove it. You have become better. You have become stronger. Maximal progress is this imaginary amount of progress you should have made. If you just put eight kilos on your back squat and it took you eight weeks to do it, you made progress. But if you think you should have put 18 kilos on your back squat, you didn't make maximal progress. And some other program may work better or should work better. So, you know, you, you reject the program that has gotten you stronger by X because you want to be stronger X plus Y. You believe you have the potential to be stronger with just the right program. So you didn't get there. So this program doesn't work. But, but who determines what that number is going to be to say, oh, well, I only got stronger by three kilos, but I should have gotten stronger by six. So this is rubbish. I need to do something different. Who determines that? There's no way to determine we, that so that, so I can, <laughs> that I can see. So then how the hell does this stuff get out there? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's pure ego-based be, ego speculation. You're speculating that you should have been able to get this. What is that based on? My inherent talent? So you have, you have an accurate assessment of how talented you are or how much potential you have in this particular time period and this program failed to get you to that. You know, I, I've kind of switched over to, um, um, when we, when we set our programming, um, goal weights, you know, it's instead of going through the program with 
the percentage is based on your current weight. We base it on a projected weight. So uh, your projected goal, if you're a 220 squatter and it's an eight-week squat program, uh, I'll project, uh, say you want to get to 500, 227. So over eight weeks, you're going to go to 227. And you believe you should have gone to 240 or 230. 230, reasonable. You could try that. That'd be a big jump in eight weeks. It would be a big jump in eight weeks, especially for somebody already squatting that much. Yeah. And if, if they're new, a jump like that makes uh, makes a lot of sense because you're, yeah. you're getting used to it. You're getting more comfortable in positions. You know, your body's just adapting to everything. But once you're already that strong, that's that's a big jump to make in just a few short weeks. Yeah. Um yeah, a five percent. When you're back squatting a hundred, having a goal uh, in eight weeks of a five percent gain is pretty modest. Yeah, it's very modest. But if you're back squatting two hundred, five percent in eight weeks is pretty damn good. That's a big gain. <laughs> that, that's a big gain. Yeah. So, you know. Well, uh, oh, I guess well, what can people do to be more realistic with what they're thinking is going to happen in their training. Uh, I wish I knew because I would, I would try to impart that. <laughs> okay, so so if if you've taken all the things that have happened to you, because obviously over the twenty years you've been coaching and lifting and doing all these things, a bunch of crazy shits happened. You know, what what do you see is is helping people understand that they're making good progress, they're doing good things, to so just buckle down and do the work, compared to people who just think that oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. I, I'm gonna you know, do this squat program or that training philosophy or do what have you. Well, what's, what's, what separates those two people? I think and helping them differentiate, like what's actually happening in the training hall. Well, I think the newer you are to training, the uh, serious training for a big goal. Um, you've got, you've got to make progress often. It kind of hooks you in. Um, I mean, there's no way for your program, to, for your career to make the kind of progress late that you make early. Okay. But that progress that you make early is important for keeping you in the sport. Which makes sense. So, you know, um, I've come down to thinking of beginners, intermediates, and advanced based on their strength more than their technique. Because um, I've been able to get people to adequate technique fairly quickly. Um, strength, they're a beginner. If they're still adding weight to the bar every workout or every week. Okay. Um, when they're adding weight to the bar every other week, every month, every six weeks, they're intermediate. When it takes eight to 12 weeks of a very focused, very specific program with the loads carefully calculated to put five kilos on your back squat or 10 kilos on your back squat, then you're advanced. Okay. Um, and I think beginner and early intermediate, it's important that they get PRs often in something. Um, and strength is a good place to do it because, frankly, people like to see their muscles grow. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty addicting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, how do I convince people that, you know, they're making enough progress? I don't know. Okay. Like I said – Probably had half a dozen lifters leave in the last month and a half or two months. Half a dozen new ones come in. 
you know, maybe my personality is only tolerable for a certain amount of time for some people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's possible. You, it's you possible. Can't, you can't rule that out. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. If I had the answer to that question, a lot of coaches would like to have it. Well, let's figure out the damn answer somehow. <laughs> may not magically happen today, but let's <laughs> keep working on that one. <laughs> yeah. If, if I put that little, I stole this from Dan John. Um, as soon as I saw it, I saw how accurate it was. It's his little progress flow chart. And it starts with the question, are you making progress? Yes. Don't change anything. That's the end of that side of the flow chart. Pretty you are simple. making progress. And we're done. Okay. Stop doing good. It's Keep like, going. And no. How do you feel? You feel good, but you're not making progress? Train harder. Up your volume. <laughs> um, you feel bad? You know, why? Are things good outside the gym? You're eating the way you should. You're sleeping the way you should. You're doing everything you can to recover. Um, but you still feel bad? Then you need to drop your volume. If that's not right, and that's probably the case... <laughs> Then straighten the fuck up. <laughs> Start eating right. Start sleeping and resting the way you should. You know, to it, if your program's not working, then the first thing you need to check is you and your behavior. Yeah, that's only a small percentage of, you know, the pie. Yeah, what you do in the gym is how many hours a week? 10, 12, 15. All those other hours are recovery restoration what are you doing with them are you going out and drinking twice a week are you staying up playing video games till two in the morning you know are are you eating a pop tart and some jerky after the workout and calling that your post-workout meal <laughs> you know take care of that shit first yeah and then if you've if you know everything's good outside the gym then you can start looking at what's going on inside the gym okay which that makes sense. Because I mean, people got to get their shit together outside the gym for things to go well in the gym. I, I know I, I tell new lifters a lot of times and they get mad because they don't hit a certain percentage. Oh, I'm supposed to hit this today and I can't hit it or this or that. And first question I ask, like, okay, how'd you sleep? What'd you eat? Like, exactly. How, how are things in your life? Are you stressed out? What's going on? And like, oh, well, I'm in school and finals are coming up and I got two hours of sleep. Oh, well, there's your fucking problem. Like, <laughs> go home, get some sleep, come back tomorrow. Like, well, I, one of our lifters, who I won't name, <laughs> um, he'll know who he is when he when he hears this, is an engineer. Um, he's been given, you know, a lot of control in a huge international project, trying to connect two major international companies in a big business venture. And he has a central role in this. And he's a young guy, and it's the first time this has ever happened to him. And it's a tremendous amount of stress. You know, he doesn't sleep as well. He's constantly worried. He has really high days and really low days at work. And his lifts aren't going well. You know, go figure. Yeah. Your nervous system is trashed and you're unable to adjust rep to rep when things are going wrong. You know, the first thing to break down when people have something going wrong in their life, they're not eating right. They're not sleeping right. There's some major stress at work or relationship stress. The first thing that breaks down is their coordination. When anything is going to affect you, when any stress is going to affect your nervous system, the first place I see it is your ability to adjust from rep to rep if things went wrong. Normally, if you're well-rested, you're a good athlete, you have fairly good technique, 
I tell you what went wrong in that rep, the next rep or two, you fix it. If you don't in most of a workout, there's some shit wrong. We got to lower the weight and lower the volume. You have to adjust to the realities outside your life. And I forget who I was talking to this about yesterday. Uh, um, Patton said a version of this. And Mike Tyson said a version of this. <laughs> you know. Oh, it was, it was when I was listening to Sean Waxman, how important your plan is, how important programming is. And that's true. Everybody got a plan till they got hit. Every general has a plan till the battle starts. Once the battle starts, it's how you adjust, not what your plan was. Yeah. And that's programming. You know, once the plan starts, you know, the coach has to be right on top of shit, right on top of the lifters, watching how they react and adjusting. How'd they feel at this end of the end of this week of, you know, high volume squats? Trashed, but the weights are still moving relatively fast. Um, their lifts aren't breaking down. We keep going. Trashed, they can't adjust their, you know, they're missing attempts at 75%. You know, they get into the sticking point at 80% squats and, you know, grinding through it such that it looks like they're having a baby, you know, we got to adjust <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be parts of training where you hate your coach, you hate your life and you hate squatting. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, that goes on for a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks at most. It goes on longer than that. Shit's going wrong. <laughs> we got some shit to fix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Obviously, there's not a whole lot you can do with the programming to really fix a lot of the progress minus, you know, what you just said there, like tempering back. We need to hold back a little bit because of things outside the gym, life, stress, not sleeping well, those kind of things. Um, are there other things you need to worry about with different athletes? Maybe they don't respond well to so much volume or they need more intensity are those are those just things that you kind of find out along the way, or what? What are you looking for to to keep someone making progress? Um, well, I take uh, two athletes I'm looking at right now, um, Caitlin and Katie. They're doing the same squat program. Caitlin is thriving on it. Um, Katie is having a little bit of trouble. She's hitting PRs, but not quite. We you know not close to what we projected. You know. Uh, over nine weeks, she's adding two, three kilos to her squat where Caitlin is going to add 10 or more. So I think just watching how they move, how they react to things, Katie, I think needs more volume and not nearly as much time peaking to a one rep max or peaking to a, a heavy double. Probably I'm going to keep, give her three or four more sets of, of, five rep volume during the you know five rep phase of the squats maybe she's only going to peak a triple and and not go after shit that really taxes your nervous system caitlin seems to be you know she plowed right through her her two rep max double you know no problem at all in fact probably could add two or three kilos to the bar so i'm really curious to see where her one rep max is going to be this coming week yeah so that's you know two people you know, not too far apart in body weight, not too far apart in age. It's just that they have pretty different reactions to the same squat program. So we'll adjust the squat program for the person that's having trouble with it. Okay. 
But for Caitlin, I'll probably run the same thing again because, I mean, if she made progress this time, we'll just up her numbers yeah. and see if she makes progress the next time. Chances are she'll make the same kind of progress again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You know, because I'm looking for progress. Are you adding weight to the bar? Not are you adding the most weight to the bar possible because we don't know how to find what that is. There's no way to define that. Yeah, but in, in that aspect, I mean, Katie's still adding a couple kilos to the bar. Still so making it's, progress. It's still making progress, but you're still going to tweak things and try to change things and yeah. try to get yeah. some more out of it. Yeah, I, I, th- I, you know, but that's, I mean, that's a very subjective judgment. I have no objective way of knowing that. I think she can get a little more of the program if I tweak it. Yeah. Is it maximal? I don't know. Maybe there's something dramatically different we could try. I'm not going to adjust it a lot because this worked to a degree. It worked some. If it worked at all, it's not that far off. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Fair enough. Because this shit's hard. Getting more weight on the bar and continually getting stronger is hard. You know, and there is an end point, you know, earlier for some people than others. Yeah. The, and that's a, something I tried to get across bef- to a couple of people I was talking to. Coaching isn't knowing all the formulas and, you know, you know ha- having your spreadsheet down, <laughs> you know, knowing the, knowing all the total load and all that. Coaching is a thousand little decisions every week, every day. It's, you know, it's adjusting things constantly. It's constant observation of what the effect you're having on the lifter is and adjusting. It's, it's an endless chain of little subjective decisions based on your experience, based on your education, based on your relationship with the lifter, based on your observation and adjusting. Well, this doesn't seem to be working. Let's try this. You're not having a good day here. Let's try that. You know, the program says this, but that's not working. Let's try Let's do a different drill today. But it's just little decisions like that back to back to back to back over months and years. It's not, I mean, it's important to be able to understand the basic concepts behind programming. But the art comes in in making those little decisions, those little judgments and changing shit on, you know, during the process. Okay. Uh, What did, uh, I think Hemingway said this about writing. Um, We are all apprentices in a craft we will never master. That's fucking coaching right there. Yeah. <laughs> there's always going to be new shit to learn, new things to try. And, and like, you never I, feel well, like shit, you mastered I've, I've done this before, but it's not working. So we're going to try that, you know, something different or. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent point. Because, you know, I've been doing this a long time and occasionally I'll still wake up in the middle of the night. And the first question that comes to me is, why the fuck should they listen to me? <laughs> 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 you know. I usually have an answer, you know, I try to talk myself out of knowing anything and then I go, well, this, this, and this. And then I thought that like, oh, well, yeah, I have some answers. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a few more than them. So they should probably listen to me. Well, hopefully you've accumulated them, accumulated them along the way. So, And I'm still trying to get more. 
And that's kind of the idea of coaching. You know, and, and, you know, guys that started coaching after me, you know, Sean Waxman started coaching after me, but I, I pick up a lot of shit from Sean because pick or Sean has picked the brains of a lot of people. I don't know. And then he passes that along in things like podcasts and his program that he writes. And I'll talk to him when I see him at this coaching symposium, people like Don, people like Reed Becker, Tim swords. I'll pick up stuff wherever I can. Cause you know, all of us at some point think, well, that guy probably knows more than me. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on how things are going in the gym, yeah, you, you might think that <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go ask those people. Seems like when it comes to this, you know more than me. What are you doing? <laughs> now, do you normally get good answers? you get good cooperation from everybody? or Nine times out of ten, I find out we were thinking the same thing and they're having the same problems. Okay. But occasionally they have something good and I'll just grab onto that, you know, and pretend I invented it. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, I, I, I try to give credit where it's due. Do you have any examples of that where you were stumped and had to ask for help and it led you into something that uh, worked well? I called Don and asked him about something really specific. Like, oh, um, I want some clarification on how he works block periodization because he's been doing it since before, you know, there was a name for it. <laughs> um, and Waxman has referred to this too, that uh, instead of having classic periodization, you're trying to address all qualities um, all the time, all the way through, you know, speed and strength and precise technique all the way through the block periodization is much more focused loading and much more focused on a specific aspect you do a strength block it's two to four weeks and you're just it's strength and you minimize everything else and then you go into competition phase and it's strictly maintenance strength and it's competition lifts and back and forth between those two and you the nice thing about it is you can concentrate the loading such that you could have a really intense strength block that's two weeks long because you only have four weeks before a meet. Uh, that's what I try to do with a Tino going to the nationals because he hit, what was it? He hit a meet, the Arnold, missed his quali qualifying total for nationals. And we tried it again four weeks later, missed it again. And then four weeks later, we tried it again and he finally hit it. Now we have four weeks to nationals. I'm trying to peak him yet again. And fortunately, he's a freakish athlete. So there's a fairly good chance he, he'll you know at least hit, hit the, his PR total, maybe a little better. Um, so, yeah, I, I called Don and asked him about that. Okay. I was going to talk to Sean about the, uh, you know, how he concentrates the loading. And um, his opinion is that... Uh, Drug-free lifters need to work at higher average intensities. Probably can't hand, handle the volume because, you know, that uh, drugged-up lifters can handle. So they probably have to work at higher intensities to get close to the same weights. I mean, frankly, we get drug-free lift. There's, if you have talent, there's some drug-free lifters out there that are just goddamn strong. Nathan Dameron, you know, Wes Kitts, they're strong as shit. This is very true. Yeah. Which tells you, you know, how much this is a strength sport because when you get the drugged up lifters and the drugged up country countries out of the way, they do pretty well. Yeah. Um, Sean's lifter, um, what's her name? Uh, 
the 53? No idea. Um, Caitlin Hogan. Okay. She's been in this two and a half years. I mean, and he, he thinks that she's got to, if, if things fall right at the Pan Ams, he thinks she has a shot to take a poke at the total and the clean and jerk Pan American records. That's impressive. Uh, who were, that were set by a lifter who's been, from the Dominican Republic who's been popped twice for drugs. And, you know, Caitlin gets tested, I don't know, weekly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, USADA. Yeah. So, you know, um, that kind of gives the lie to the idea that you have to start this when you're 10 or 12 years old. You can't start this late. That you have to have 10 years of training in and hit hit your peak of your training in your early 20s. If you do that, that's great. You know, we've got Harrison Morris who's doing that. CJ Cummings do have done that. Caitlin was a hockey player. She's talented. She got good coaching and good programming. And two and a half years later, I mean, she's top five, top six in the world. Now, I don't know tons about hockey. Does she come out of that with a huge strength base that they can work with? Or, But that's true of a lot of, a lot of athletes that we get coming into the sport late. They come in from CrossFit. They come in from gymnastics or another sport where they had to do strength training and they come in with a bit of a strength base. There's still holes you have to fill in. A lot of times they don't have the, the glute and hamstring strength they should and the upper back spinal erector strength that they should have. But, you know, we do remedial strength work and we fix that in fairly short order. Okay. You know, if, if, you, if you can hit, still hit the positions, um, if you're a talented athlete, if you have the potential to, to be strong, you know, and you find a good coach, you can be Caitlin Hogan. You can come in this and Tara Knott, Tara Knott was a soccer player, gymnastics as a kid, then a soccer player, and she was the first gold medalist we had in two thousand. You know, she came into the sport late. I I hate to say it, but that's something you don't normally really hear of. Typically, you hear the people who've been grinding for, you know, eight, ten, twelve years, and they finally start to show the progress. So Maddie Rogers hasn't been doing that. No, not at all. You know that 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 the drugged up countries with huge financial support from the government have a bunch of kids start them early, and and they become world champions. How do you separate that from the drug use? I mean, you can't. You know, we have we have some really successful athletes here who started as kids. We have some really successful athletes here that didn't pick this up until their late teens or early twenties. And they're making world teams and they're having an impact on the international level. So, you know, I don't think it's as necessary to start as a kid as people make it sound. Okay. It's almost like they're prohibiting you know, don't even try your twenty. Why even get in the sport? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Caitlin Hogan, she's probably going to go down there and win a Pan Am gold medal. Well, if she's going for total records, she better be winning gold. Yeah. You know, so if you're, you know, 20 years old, 22 years old, you're, you know, Sarah Robles. I mean, she finished as a thrower uh, in college. I mean, she wasn't really serious about the sport until 21, 22 years old. She's been a world champion. She's been an Olympic medalist. So, you know, she started late because she didn't start when she was 10 or 12 years old. <laughs> or she didn't start at four years old in a Chinese sports school. Yeah. Fuck them. 
<laughs> and fuck the Russians too. <laughs> well, the- I'm sorry. I'm halfway through my second beer, so. Tell you sorry for it. <laughs> Speaking your mind. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. It's uncensored humanity. Fuck yeah. So, the world that we had, was it last year? It was like the the least drugged up worlds probably ever. Probably. Uh, well, you know, since before they were invented. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, how many countries were kicked out of that? Like, what, what all? Nine countries. Nine countries. Holy shit. All former Soviet bloc countries except for China. Okay, so... Former Soviet bloc and China. So they weren't allowed to compete. So pretty much all the people who had been getting their asses kicked by all these drugged up lifters for most of their careers got a chance to actually do well and get medals and yep. you know, be on the podium when they when they should have been before without all the cheaters in there. And that's gonna change probably the Olympics going forward. There's lots of talk about changing weight classes now and Limiting numbers of people coming in and out, and it's all because of these drugged up lifters. Do we think that's kind of like a negative impact on the sport? Uh, well, we don't have a choice but to get the druggers out. Of course. We have to change our image. Just send them to USADA. I mean, the USADA will take care of all this problem. Well, the thing is, the people who run the sport, they... they really don't know public relations. I mean, it's a bunch of former commies. You know, they don't understand the market economy. They understand bribes because, you know, <laughs> that's what that's what made the Eastern Bloc work is bribes. Um, but they don't understand marketing. They don't understand how to present the sport. They don't understand the impact that the public image of all these drug users has with the average person who's a, a fan of Olympic sports. You know, they don't get it. They don't like it. And we're not adjusting fast enough. Because of the scandal that hit Russia and the other former Soviet bloc countries, um, the United States is getting a chance to come to the fore and try to change this before it's too late. I mean, we're in 2020. We have no guarantee at all that weightlifting will be in 2024. None. Okay. And if we fuck this up, we'll be out. And we'll be powerlifting. We'll splinter into a thousand different little organizations. We'll be a... Uh, a tiny little niche sport that nobody cares about. I mean, I hate to say it, we already kind of are a tiny little niche sport that nobody really cares about. Now, the, the saving grace, like like you just mentioned, is the fact that it is in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a big worldwide sport, Yep. which which kind of saves it for us, which is nice. But, I mean, hell, didn't they take out wrestling like a couple of cycles ago and they added it back in? So I mean, like, nothing's safe. No. That's going to be like one of the oldest events no. ever in the he, Olympics. Here, Here's the rule. For, you know, it's just like um, Deep Throat, you know, Nixon, Watergate, follow the money. Follow the money. You, you're, an, oh, you're okay with the IOC. You're okay in the Olympic movement. If you don't cost those guys money, you start costing the IOC eyeballs, you start costing them money, you are fucking gone. Because there's a lot of people's livings, a lot of money on the line in private corporations, in the IOC, in the USOC, in you know, in the entire Olympic movement. There's a lot of money on the line. And if you are perceived to be costing them money, 
they don't care if you're original Olympic sport. If track and field was going to cost them enough money, and it would it would do a, it would take a lot to get rid of track and field. But if track and field cost them money instead of making them money, track would be gone. That's like all they ever show on TV, though, is track and field and swimming, it seems like, in the Summer Olympics. If something else makes them that money, that's what you're going to see. I vote for badminton. <laughs> Watching those little Koreans run around smacking the sh- freaking shuttlecock. That's amazing. <laughs> Diving and shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. If Equestrian brought in the money that track does, then track might be history because if there's a sport that's dirtier than weightlifting, it's probably track. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be real honest. In all the Olympics, most most of the athletes are drugged up. It's just it's pretty common. Or trying. Oh yeah. Well, I wouldn't say most. I mean that that's that's a it's too cynical a take even for me. You know, and I'm so cynical, I'm I'm almost Don McCauley. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Don. Love you. You do not wear <laughs> socks and sandals, damn it. That's not cynical. That's just bad fashion sense. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think most athletes cheat, especially now. It's because the, the price for getting caught is higher and higher and higher. Good, as it should be. You know, and it's, you know, the IOC has, they've put down the edict, you know, if your athletes cost are cheating, it's going to cost your NGB, and which if is you're, what and national governing body. And if your NGB is is costing us, then your country is going to be out. Okay. Because they, you know, they've that list of nine countries. Those countries are allowed two athletes at this Olympics in weightlifting. What about the rest of the countries? Rest of the countries, you uh, a full team will be. Four men or four women. Okay. Um, for so they're allowed up to eight athletes. Up to eight athletes. Four men and four women. Ru- Russia, those countries, they've been allowed back in for weightlifting, they but have- they're allowed one man and one woman. And for all the different weight classes, for, or f- n- period. Period. Oh wow. Period. They get two athletes: one man, one woman, and. Unless, of course, they're popped at any of the events. They have to compete in six international events leading up to the Olympics. That individual athlete, not the country, but that individual athlete has to compete in six international drug-tested events leading so, up to the Olympics to so be eligible to lift tested there. and make sure they're not going to piss hot. Yeah. They're going to get tested at least six times before the Olympics. And if they don't, that athlete's not eligible to lift at the Olympics for that country. Okay. So they get two. And they're going to get tested a shit ton. So, you know, if Ilya Illin comes back because, you know, his particular, the legalities of his case have allowed him to come back far sooner than we expected. He'll be eligible for this Olympics. I thought he was banned for a couple of years. He wasn't notified of his second drug failure before he was, or, or he wasn't notified of his first drug failure. Before his second drug failure. So it only counts as one? So it only counted as one failure total. Damn it, people. Get your freaking paperwork in order. <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, he has he has to go through the same thing. He has to be tested six times at six international competitions or he can't lift. And if he gets popped in any of them. So I look for his total to go down anywhere from 10 to 
probably at least 10%. His total will go down. And it will be attributed to, well, he's an older athlete. No, he's just not on shit now. <laughs> he's not an older athlete. I don't think he's 30 yet. <laughs> well, he was he was on track to be like pretty much the best ever. But it, yeah, it, it was, happens. He got popped. I, mean, I was at his session in London when he when he won it all, and he looked like a machine. But that session in London has led directly to the IOC demanding that we change all our weight classes. They wanted they wanted to eliminate the ninety four kilo class because they were trying to blame drugs on the ninety four kilo class. <laughs> yeah, because like <laughs> For, the rest of them aren't drugged up. Yeah, you know, supers aren't doing anything. No, you know, forty eight kilo women from China aren't doing anything. No, of course not. No, it's all the ninety four kilo guys. Just the man, those but bastards. In that session, there were ten people in that session. Seven of them got seven of them got popped. Seven people in the A session at, of the 94s at the London Olympics pissed hot. <laughs> <laughs> and and you wonder why we have the reputation we do. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty out there. I mean, it's, and it's not quite as bad as cycling, I don't think, but I think it's probably a pretty close second. Yeah. Well, you know, fucking Russians. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Russians. So what happens if... I mean, I, I don't even want to think about it, but what happens if it actually does happen and they get us, all these fucking cheaters get us kicked out of the Olympics? What do you think would really happen to this sport? Here's the, here's the, here's the even better question. Do you think that you'd even have a job? Me? Yeah, as coaching. No, fuck no, but it's not enough of a job to worry about anyway. Well, I understand, <laughs> I understand that, but I mean... You know, here's I, what, I think a lot of these small clubs like ours would just <coughs> fall apart, like you said. People go over into powerlifting or do something else because what are they going to do? Are they are they even competing for? I mean, just just to lift weights over your head. I mean, yeah, it's fucking way cooler than anything else. I mean, I've talked about it before. I mean, it's like if you deadlift the bar off the ground, eh, it's kind of impressive, you know. But if you can get that bar higher, you can clean that thing up to your shoulders. That's pretty cool. But if you can fucking jerk that thing and put it overhead, like. You're you're just the boss in the gym. I mean, sorry, that's just kind of how it works. It's, it gets cooler as the bar goes higher. It does. It's just that's just how it works, guys. Sorry. And it takes more of an athlete. Yeah, I mean, so there'll be some crazy people who just want to lift and have fun and enjoy themselves, but well, like I there's said, gonna be no place for them to compete. So, there mean, will be. It'll be powerlifting because people are gonna love this. You know, th- there are people who love powerlifting. There are people who love CrossFit. Neither of them are Olympic sports, and there's plenty of people in it. You know. Me, I'm old, and I grew up with the Olympics, and I grew up with this in the Olympics. Um, and if weightlifting's not in the Olympics, I don't fucking care about it anymore. I'm gonna go do something else. Okay, I, I'll go. I'll go back to writing. I'll I'll try to be a decent writer instead of a decent weightlifting coach. Yeah, the Olympics is it's the element that gives focus to the sport. There's a reason there's only one governing body for the sport in this country because it's in the Olympics. Yep. And that's the only one that's allowed to send people to the Olympics. There's not another one because people can't. Well, there's other ones, but no one really lifts in those. No. They're like, like little niche things that might have like a thousand people in the no. whole country. No. Yeah. If, if that. Yeah. John North can have Attitude Nation weightlifting or American weightlifting. Nobody gives a fuck. Because, you know, they can't send people to the Olympics. Yeah. You know, the Olympics is the the, the organizing principle behind olympic sports and if it's not an olympic sport you know if i if i want to teach people to lift weights i'll just find the local high school football team and make them better 
you know, as a a hobby. Well, that's a good thing because, like, I've talked about this before. Like, I wish I would have been lifting with you or someone like you when I was in high school playing football because I would have been such a better athlete. Because, like, when we lifted weights, I mean, we – we did like this squat machine thing. It like hinged. It was it was weird. We did a lot of leg pressing, no deadlifting, a lot of benching, which sucked for me because I have long arms. And it's, we just wasted our time. I mean, we were lifting. Yeah, I probably got a little bit stronger here and there. But if I could have been focused and just done ass to calf back squats, snatch clean and jerk, maybe even just like power cleans of, you know, not, if nothing else. I mean, just standard strength work that you you've always talked about i mean i would have been such a better athlete so some some high school would be blessed to have you as like a strength coach well you would think except you know my alma mater rejected me as as help there <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately you've got a lot of these people who don't understand what they're talking about making the decisions that's high school sports <laughs> that's a lot of things in life it's not just fucking high school sports yeah. I mean, because we, we've we talked about the guy, I always forget the bloody guy's name, who turned out like 500 pound squatters and, you know. Oh, Bill Bradford. Okay. So, Deland High School. So, mm-hmm. like, explain a little bit about what, what Bill does or did and, like, what kind of athletes that he turned out on a normal basis. So, uh, Florida has a kind of uh, interscholastic competition. I think it, it originally was created so that because high school football coaches down there wanted to keep their lifters focused on something to keep them in the weight room through the off season. So they invented this sport where they took the two important lifts that they did in the gym to train for football, back squats or you know, power cleans and bench presses because they're relatively easy to judge. And they made a sport out of them. Um, so Bill coached the high school team that won, I don't know, 13 straight state championships in that. He coached out of a little – fucking Quonset hut behind the high school. Eventually, um, Nautilus, um, because Nautilus was in Lake Wales, I don't know, 10 miles away, and he's really good friends with Arthur Jones, the owner. So he built an, a, a f- huge f- facility with all Nautilus stuff in it. Um, none of his guys ever went over there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he liked Arthur Jones, but he believed in barbells. You know, and he turned out, Asked to calf 500 squatters and 400 benchers out of high school, like that was a normal thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's that's insanely strong for an 18 year old to get to. And most of these kids probably don't even start lifting till their seventh, eighth grade, maybe even not till their freshman year. So they've only got a handful of years to put on that kind of progress, and that's that's fucking impressive. The fact that I got to train in this guy's gym for a year and actually heard about two percent of what he told me and remember it was a miracle. <laughs> you know, uh, he, my friend Daryl was the defensive line coach at, at, uh, Deland high school. He's like, he came from tiny Ohio high schools where, you know, he had defensive linemen that were five ten and 185 pounds who, you know, bench 200. And here Bill Bradford's handing him guys that are like six, three benching 400 squatting 500. He, when I lived down there with Daryl, his defensive line, he had rotated five guys through, Four of them ended up with D1 scholarships in the SEC or the ACC. You know, he sent two to Florida, you know, like one to Georgia Tech. I forget where the other guy went. You know, the fifth guy was like all conference. Jeez. <laughs> it's like Bill just sent him, here's a bunch of beasts, you know, do whatever you want with them. 
I think Daryl's, you know, his primary coaching pointer was see ball, get ball. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what was he doing that was so different than everybody else? Nothing. Nothing. They did five by five squats. They added weight to the bar until they couldn't add weight to the bar every workout. Then he gave them something a little more complex where they'd back off the, the intensity and up the volume and then work their way back up in intensity again until they put five or ten more pounds on the bar. Then they backed off and did that again. So it's kind of like what you talked about. Like when they're beginners, you just add weights and let them go until they can't add weight anymore and then turn them into intermediate and you got to kind of do some different things and get them to kind of still make some progress and then – once they're past that, then you go on to more advanced techniques. What Bill but still, you stick to the basics. You don't do crazy, stupid shit. They did full range of movement, you know, ass to calf squats. They, did, they didn't bounce the bar off their chest and their benches. They pressed overhead. They did pull-ups and dips. They did RDLs and good mornings. They did RDLs before, the, you know, back, because back then they were stiff leg deadlifts. <laughs> you know, yeah. They did very basic, multi-joint, barbell exercises three times a week. And when he got freaks, which he often did down there in a high school with, I don't know, 2,500 kids in it, those kids would put on a lot of muscle fast. Yeah. And then he'd give them to the football team. (laughs) (laughs) It's... I mean, everyone wants to act like getting strong is a mystery and you got to do all these crazy things and you got to do this and you got to do that and it's... It seems like the more and more that I I learn, I realize no, it's stick to the basics, and, and the, just do what has been proven to work over time. The basics are this: as full a range of motion as possible, as heavy as possible, as often as possible. You know, and some of the most foundational research we have, and this is supported by I don't know how much experience in the gym and the data. Four to six sets of four to six reps for strength. So what's an average of that? Five by five. There's a reason that five by five is some of the most the most effective strength program out there. You know, you can vary it. You know, you can use the Texas method. Uh, you can do variations of the Texas method with messing with the volume the way I do it. And what are some of those things? I, I don't know what the Texas method is. Uh, Texas method. Um, this is uh, Ripito and uh, um, God damn it, um, Glenn Pendley. Okay, um, and uh, Cal Dietz has a, a kind of a version of it that uh, LSUS uh, does. You uh, on Saturday, Friday or Saturday, you work up to a five rep max. Monday. You do 90% of that, and I dropped to 85% because I want to make sure every rep is hit. But Monday, you'll do five by five of that at 90%. Wednesday, uh, you'll do 80% for two to three sets of five. And then end of the week again, you hit another five rep max. Cal Dietz um, and uh, LSUS, uh, I forget people's names because I'm getting old. <laughs> um but they were Cal Dietz reverses that he puts the volume day on Wednesday instead of Monday. Um, that's pretty intense to have that volume day and then have your rep max day two days later. Yeah, that's not a lot of recovery time. Um, it's easier to recover from the intensity day to the volume day than it is from the volume day to the intensity day. Yeah, that makes sense. So I prefer to have the volume day on Monday. You got the whole week to recover. 
yeah. get your intensity day at the end of the week, and then that sets your volume yeah. day for the next week. And and since we have to front squat, you know, because weightlifters have to front squat during the strength phase, we'll we'll do that for a lot of people. We'll do that Texas method with front squats in the middle, usually um, pause doubles with something around your clean, just to keep positional strength, but it still backs off the intensity yeah. and the load. Um, and then when we get into the competition phase, we'll front squat twice and back squat once. So it's, it's pretty simple shit. I mean, I, I haven't done bands or chains or pauses or, you know, tempo or conjugate method or conjugate or none dynamic of, movements, none of that stupid shit. And, you know, well, who, who's squatting 500 now? Tino is. Um, Josiah is Ben is Tim's really close Tim's really close uh, before them it was John Dawson you know it, you don't have to do something more complex when these guys are squatting 600 they might need something more complex but they'll probably get to 600 squats with any, without anything more complex than they're doing now yeah because they're relatively talented they have the potential to put on strength okay so, and, I mean, so, and I'm not smart. I have to keep it as simple as possible <laughs> because I'm an ADD motherfucker who cannot keep shit organized. It has to be as simple and straightforward as possible for me to program it, for me to keep track of it. You know, maybe somebody else can do the rocket science programming. It's, you know, like Smoloff Jr. or all that stupid shit. We'll let them do that. That's fine. Yeah. We'll stick with the basics and we'll turn out 500-pound back squatters and we'll be just fine. Fine. <laughs> now, now, if you had some advice for, let's say, a high school athlete who's getting started into lifting, they've never really lifted before, other than stop lifting at the school and go find yourself a good coach, like what would kind of be your recommendation for them? Like to what, what to focus on, what to leave out, those kind of things. Focus on big multi-joint movements. Such as? Back squat, bench press, press. Like an o- overhead press. Overhead press. With, with, with preferably a barbell. Yeah. Pull-ups, rows, um, three times a week. And go with, you know, especially at the beginning. Lifting three times a week. Lifting three times a week. You don't need, probably you could get all the way through high school without ever doing more than that. Okay. You know, um, Especially if your sport isn't a barbell sport like weightlifting, because we have to work so much on technique that fourth, fifth day, those are necessary to work technique. But if you're just looking to get stronger, you know, you add weight to the bar of your workout until you can't. And then you go like in Bill Starr, uh, Bill Starr's Strongest Shall Survive. Um, Monday's 85%. You do the same big exercises. And for him, it was the, the big three were. Uh, back squat, bench press, and power clean. They do all three on the same day? All three on the same day. They did three exercises and some abs. And 85% uh, on Monday, 70% on Wednesday. And the same three lifts? Same three lifts, 100% on, on Friday or Saturday. Okay. And they just kept doing that. And then that set their percentages for the next week to do it, yeah. 85% of that, 70% of that, try to max out again. Yeah. Go so, back and forth. So maybe their freshman year, they're just adding weight to the bar every workout. Their sophomore, junior year, they're doing what Bill Starr said. Their senior year, maybe they need something a little more complex that's drawn out a little longer than a week-to-week gain. But it's, you know, and if they don't have a coach, I would say 
pay close attention to your back position and keep your balance midfoot. I mean, I hate to say it, like nowadays it's it's so easy you could almost videotape yourself, watch a couple of videos and almost learn to coach yourself from watching that. You know, I mean, unfortunately, if you put that up online, too many people are just trolls and they're going to tell you, oh, this is crap or that's horrible and don't do this and do that. And so you got to be careful with some of that kind of stuff. But there's there's also a bunch of good people out there that can say, hey, no, you're you got a problem here. You need to work on this. You need to fix that. Obviously, the problem with that is it's so different with a coach because you can get immediate feedback. Now, I screwed that rep up. Oh, OK, do this instead for your second rep, like in your as you're squatting or doing whatever lifts you're doing. And, and you can make those kind of changes. That's where it's important to get somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about. But unfortunately, most, most people at most gyms, they're certified trainers, but they don't really know shit yet. Well, the thing is, we're going too far the other way, too. You take a kid who hasn't lifted before, who hasn't back squatted 200 pounds yet. It's like, oh, you're, it looks like your right glute in, isn't firing or your piriformis is tight or, you know, you're, I think you have some SI joint trouble here. We need, you know, let's do side planks holding, you know, a kettlebell overhead. Let's do, you know, just let the kid get three, four, five, six months of training in and see if the exercise itself can correct shit. Do you mean like those big multi-joint movements can actually fix some of their own problems and stability and those kind of things? It's crazy, I know. Huh. It's, it's worked for, I don't know, a hundred years or so. <laughs> but, you know, let's wait until they're, they get through that and maybe they're five or six years down the road, they're back squatting 500, they're clean and jerking 350, you know, and some shit comes out. Then maybe all that PT stuff might be useful. Yeah. Or if you're rehabbing from injury and stuff like that, then things like that become handy. Otherwise, yeah. stick to the main movements. And I will say this, stay off the fucking machines. Oh, yeah. If you're going to do lifting, lift with a barbell in your hands. Uh-huh. And if you're doing some accessory work, it's not the end of the world to do the machines. That's no problem. But that needs to be just that. Accessory, accessory work. Accessory work. Yeah. Yeah. I'd still rather see people doing pull-ups than pull-downs. But if they need to do pull downs or use some sort of band or something to get them to a pull up, that's fine. Well, that's the thing is that like there's there's people like me. I'm I'm not strong enough to pull up my own weight. I'm no. su- I'm such a big guy. So at the other uh, gym that I lift at here in town, they have one of those um, assisted weight dip and pull up machines. Those are hel- so I can put uh, the maximum on there, which is 112 pounds of assistance, and it's still hard for me to do more than two or three pull ups at a time. So I have to do a lot of sets. To kind of get my work in. And by the end of it, my freaking biceps hurt more than anything, which is hilarious. But it's just, I mean, that's how I'm trying to get my work in. Is I stopped doing pull-downs after we talked to Dave, who had said, no, you need to be doing pull-ups for this reason. First of all, I'm so tall, I don't really fit on the lat pull-down machines right. to really do it properly. But it's so much harder. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And granted, some of that's because I'm a big super and I need to probably lose some weight. But just, it is what it is. I mean... Well, it's, you know, supers just don't do pull-ups. I mean, there's a reason, you know, pole vaulters, gymnasts do a, a shit ton of pull-ups. They're not that big. <laughs> you know, if, you, if, if you're pulling up some massive ass, they're going to be a lot harder. The most impressive strength feat that I have ever seen, and I've seen 900 deadlifts, I've seen 1,000 squats, I've seen 500-plus clean and jerks. Were those 1,000 squats in suits and wraps and everything? Uh No. That was raw. No, that was in gym shorts, a one-ply belt, and work boots. Holy shit. 
Don Reinhout. That's a strong motherfucker. Yeah. And it was three inches below parallel. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, Can I just be like a third that strong? I mean, seriously? Yeah. And he, walked, he walked it out of racks. <laughs> wow. You powerlifters got some big shoes to fill, man. <laughs> well, Don Reinhout had some real big shoes. <laughs> but one of the most impressive strength feats I've seen in person is a guy I used to coach, Chris Cook. He's six five, I think, three twenty, three thirty. Big boy, strong man. Um, I used to. I had a custom power rack that was uh, seven feet tall or seven and a half. It, it was tall enough that a six five guy could stand and do a press inside of it, but it was four and a half inch square tube, and it didn't have bars on it anywhere. It just had square tube all the way around. But he would do pull ups on it. So he would put his hand over the edge of the square tube, like in an L at the top, and hang a 50-pound dumbbell off a chain around his waist and do sets of six, you know, getting his chin up above the square tube. What an animal. I know. Yeah. And like dead hangs, too. Full range of motion because we didn't tolerate less. <laughs> and he just had such a massively strong back. We went to a pro-am uh, strongman event in Illinois. Um, and he was an amateur versus pros. And they had an event where they had a fire truck and a two-inch rope, two-inch hawser. And he would sit down on the ground, brace your feet against this huge um, log that was, you know, staked into the ground. And then pull on this hawser to pull this truck toward you. So pull on a, just a hose? J- just the rope. Okay. The, rope was atta- the rope was attached to a fire truck 100 feet away. Okay. And it's how far you could pull the fire truck. He's the only one that got the fire truck to move, and he pulled it all the way to him. Because <laughs> they didn't think about this stuff ahead of time. They just threw it together. The fire truck was on grass on a Little League baseball field. So just getting it moving. I mean, it w- and it was the big dual axle, you know, the big truck. And Chris got it moving and pulled it all the way to the dirt. Okay. <laughs> no, nobody else moved the thing. He was, he was massively strong in the upper back. Yeah, I'd say. And now he's a Harley mechanic. <laughs> Strongest Harley mechanic ever. Yep. But he used to have long black hair and a big beard, and people mistook him for The Undertaker, that pro wrestler from the 80s and 90s. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's still wrestling. He, he stopped correcting the kids that would come up to him. He would just sign. sign he would just sign as The Undertaker and give him the thrill. <laughs> Okay, so so the kids should basically stick to the basics. When they're starting off, just try to add some weight every time they go in the gym, essentially. And just keep working up and then start to periodize your training if you need to and get good coaching and just focus on the basics and you'll be really strong. Stop doing all the stupid bullshit and life will be good. And I'm not saying anything unique here. Well, yeah. Every, everybody who's been in this a while and who's worth a shit would give exactly the same advice. This isn't rocket science. <laughs> you know, it, it can get super science-y. Um, uh, I was listening to Sean Waxman's podcast on Weightlifting House. And, you know, this is one of the most, one of the most telling and important things he said. You know, the, the programming he writes, uh, how he monitors Caitlin Hogan's lifting, it's, it's easy and the most interesting stuff he's done because she's perfect outside the gym. He he worries not one little bit about what she's doing outside the gym. 
She gets everything exactly right. Okay. This is her life. I mean, she owns her own gym. She runs her own stuff, but she eats right. She sleeps right. She rests right. She does the plan. She trains the plan. She doesn't add shit. She doesn't subtract shit. She does exactly what she's supposed to do. That is an incredibly rare athlete. I mean, she's in she's in pretty rarefied air being that athlete and him having her. Because he can just do the stuff that he's supposed to do. <laughs> he doesn't have to, you know, harass her to make it to training. He doesn't have to, you know, constantly bug her to eat right. He doesn't have to check on how she's sleeping. She takes responsibility for her own career and does all that shit because that's what you're supposed to do. Well, that's probably why she's doing so well. It's probably not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier you mentioned a coaches symposium that's going on that USAW is uh, putting on. Uh, what's 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 going on with that? Uh, well, um, I've I thought and I've lobbied for for I don't know more than a decade having some thing where coaches get together, present to each other, have Q and A's talk to each other about what they're doing, what has worked, what hasn't, how do you recruit? What do you do with these athletes? What do you do with those athletes? How are you programming? What were the results of this programming? We've never had any kind of gathering for just such an exchange. Well, Phil Andrews, Savior of American weightlifting, <laughs> that and CrossFit. <laughs> um, he finally got that together, and the first coaching symposium is going to be in July in Chicago. And so, as soon as it popped up, I didn't even know who the speakers were, you know, what the events were going to be, what breakout sessions, none of that stuff. I signed up immediately because I bitched about it for so long. If I didn't sign up, I'd be a huge hypocrite. <laughs> Like, well, Dan, you've been asking for this. We gave it to you. Why didn't you go? Exactly. He's so he's gonna like hit you up on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I signed up for it, and I'm you know, I'm hoping to run into. A, I'm trying to encourage all the coaches I know to go to it. Um, I've talked Caitlin into going. Um, my wife's gonna go, and we're gonna make a vacation out of it so we can see the you know the museums in Chicago. That'll and all be fun. That. Yeah. Um. So. I encourage everybody who's interested in being serious about a coach in this sport at all to go to this thing. Now, as as you and I both know, the stuff that's going to happen at the symposium will be good. And hanging out with everybody and seeing what they teach and those kind of things, it's, it's going to be somewhat beneficial. Right. But the real benefit is going to come at the bar afterwards. When everybody's hanging around and everybody's just talking after a few beers that, that's that's when the real information is going to like really happen. Well, that's where it was for me, you know, the, my, especially my first several years in the sport. Getting to know other coaches and asking them questions that generally – the only time we had was at the end of lifting for the day at Nationals or Americans or Juniors where all the coaches kind of, you know, stumble into the hotel bar to decompress and then start bullshitting about stuff. And, you know, a couple of beers loosens you up. Yep. Which is why we fuel the podcast with beer. <laughs> Definitely makes it better. Yeah. And, you know, ask people about, you ask each other about stuff. Um, you know, at first, you know, people considered me their peer long before I was. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had 
tons of questions. Why do this? Why do that? Yeah, I'm really anti-authoritarian. And the way things have always been done, I always rejected first, questioned second, and then thought, well, maybe I should try that, and then figured out why it works last. But even though I've been a slow learner because of that, I understand in a very foundational way why every single thing I do in a program is being done and what effect I'm looking for. I don't just put things in because it's always been done that way. If I don't understand what the goal is, what its purpose is, I don't put it in. Okay. So if there's something that people are doing that seems to work, I'll ask them why. Which, which makes sense. I mean, how else are you going to learn if you don't ask them what they're doing? I mean, this, this seems like logic to me. Well, and one of the things I, you probably noticed that a pretty standard part of programming is polls. You know, snatch poles and clean poles. Um, we don't do much of that. Hardly, we hardly do it at all. I do a little bit of flat-footed pulling as part of the, the teaching progression, but we don't do high poles. We don't do panda poles much because they're a complex skill that an experience, you have to be experienced with pretty good technique to do that and make it work. I've had, you know, no success, negative effects from using poles to teach the lifts. Now, if the poles are strength work, and which is why a lot of people, what a lot of people refer to, it's either teaching the lifts or strength work. They suck teaching the lifts, except in a very limited way, very specialized. Um, as far as strength work goes, deadlift. Yeah, we deadlift for posterior chain strength. And we deadlift the way you're supposed to, you know, to mimic how you pull. And we only deadlift to a certain point. We don't, I try not to let people go for limit singles because their technique breaks down and there's too much ego involved. Yeah. But that's why we don't do pulls for strength. Oh, I forgot to shut that off. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. Um, but I'm, I'm coming back to the idea we might do pulls, but I would rather do repetitive heavy cleans rather than pulls. Okay. So say one week, you do heavy deadlifts. The next week to unload, you do clean doubles at 85 to 90%. You're still getting lots, you're getting heavy clean work. You need that for technique. But if you've done, you know, five doubles at 85% or five doubles at 90% in the clean, you know, you've been worked. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> yeah. It's heavy as shit, but not as heavy as three by three clean deadlift yeah. or even a three rep max deadlift. Yeah. Um, but I don't see where pulls fit in that equation. But I could be wrong. I mean, who knows? Coaching I mean, symposium, you know, I'll talk. I'll talk to Tim Swords, and you know, I'll, I'll talk to Reed Becker. I'll talk to Mark. I'll talk to Don McCauley. I'll talk to Travis Mash. Why? Why do you do pulls? Do you think it has the effect you're looking for? If it has, who do you do it with, and why? These are all good questions to ask. And that's the reason I think to have good symposiums like this. I think the, these, these kind of things seem to be popping up more and more in different um, fields or jobs or what have you. It seems like these things are just popping up all over the place. Little masterminds or, you know, the, the symposiums, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't matter. Like a little weekend getaway, come out and you ask a bunch of questions of your peers and what they're doing, what works and what doesn't. And, 
how to get better at certain things. And there's definitely lots of things we can all learn from each other. As long as people are open and realize that, hey, this information isn't super proprietary. It's not like you need to hold it back from your peers and it's like they're going to pass you up or anything like that. No, you're just helping everyone get better, which is going to help the entire sport. Yeah. Because, I mean, I I tell people this. I remember uh, uh, Brandon Gerber. He's a powerlifting coach here in town. And and I I talk to him. I I tell him, it's like, you need to talk to a bunch of other powerlifting people. This is what you want to do because, like, those other people aren't your enemy. Those are your friends. Like, your enemy is, like, bullshit Globo gyms, you know, that just have, like, shiny machines and a a gazillion treadmills. Like, that's who you're trying to pull people from. You're not trying to pull from your your buddy over there who has a powerlifting team. Like, no, go over there and train with them and have fun and just, and like, just do everything together to get better to grow the sport in general. Uh, yeah, and I, I love being in a gym that has powerlifters in it. You know, I picked up some shoulder uh, prehab work from Dave Kaiser. I talk about training volume and, and strength programming with Justin all the time. I, you know, talk to people in your sport, talk to people just outside your sport. You know, it, it's it's helpful. And yeah, there's lots of things to learn, and there's different ways to apply it for what you want to do. But like you said, you need to know what to apply, how to apply it, and who to apply it with to make it worthwhile. Yes. That's kind of important things to know. So uh, I think this is a good place to kind of wrap things up if you want to. Um, where are some places that people can go to kind of find out more about you and what you do? Uh, let's see. Uh, RubberCityWeightlifting.org. Um, unrivaledstrength.com um facebook rubber rubber city weightlifting on facebook or or dan bell on facebook you'll get a couple of political things on there but i try to really limit that <laughs> because i'm becoming a radical moderate <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, your instagram handle uh it's rubber city weightlifting, rubber city weightlifting all yep. the way around this is simple and then also He's got that USAW Level 1 cert coming up in Cincinnati in May, the 19th and 20th. And then he's in Cranberry, Pennsylvania on June 2nd and 3rd. So get signed up for those. And then we also have our meet coming up in July 28th at at our gym in uh, North Canton, Ohio. So get signed up on that on USAW's website. And uh, we can go from there. So thanks, Dan, for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Well, that wraps up another fun episode with Coach. I know I had a great time. Hopefully, y'all did too. And hopefully, you learned some things. Dan has a pretty good wealth of knowledge, and I think if we can just get him enough beer, most of it will come out. But of course, if we give him too much, who knows what's really going to come out of his mouth. As always, I appreciate the hell out of you guys for listening to the show. And if you could do me a huge favor, let's get this show out there let's get it heard by other people share it with your friends tell people about it let's get it out there and please 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 go to itunes stitcher and podbean and give the show a five-star review those reviews are really going to help the show get found by new people so that hopefully they can enjoy the show as much as that i know that you guys are we've got some new episodes coming out soon so make sure you stay tuned into the podcast and you subscribe so you can get all the newest episodes as soon as they come out So we will see you guys next time on the Uncensored Humanity Podcast.